Uh, Let's stand in respect as I read this. Chapter 11, verses 1 through 6, it says this. Ship your grain across the sea. After many days, you may receive a return. Invest in seven ventures, yes, in eight. You do not know what disaster may come upon the land. If clouds are full of water, they pour rain on the earth. Whether a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where it falls, there it will lie. Whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the path of the wind or how the body is formed in a mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. So sow your seed in the morning, and at evening let your hands not be idle, for you do not know which will succeed, whether this or that, or whether both will do equally well. This is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. All right, good morning. Thank you, Brandon. I appreciate that. Hey, before we dig in this morning, I do have just one housekeeping uh, item for you. Some of you may have been told that uh, your shoe boxes for Operation Christmas Child are due today. That's incorrect. That's next week. So the good news is, if you're a last-minute person like me, uh, well, this is the last minute because those are due next Sunday, so don't forget to bring those in uh, with you so that we can just help the gospel go out, you know, all over the world. Hey, so as uh, Brandon mentioned, we've got two more weeks in Ecclesiastes. Today we're going to look in chapters 10 and 11, and to kind of uh, move us into that material, I want to talk for a minute about, about a book that I actually have in my office. It's a book called The Worst Case Scenario Handbook. It has all kinds of worst-case scenarios, like how do you fend off a shark attack? How do you survive a poisonous snake? How do you escape from killer bees? And on and on it goes. Almost any scenario you could think of, they have you covered. One of my favorites, though, is how to escape from a bear. There are actually 650,000 black bears in the United States. And while uh, this information is not super helpful here in Indiana, if you ever travel uh, into the Smokies, I mean, this could literally save your life. So what we're going to do is we're going to see how well you would do in a, in a real bear encounter. So if a bear actually attacks you as you're walking through the woods while you're on vacation in Gatlinburg, uh, should you, you're going to answer true or false, okay? So true or false. Um, here's the first one. You should lie still and quiet because documented attacks demonstrate that a black bear attack will often end when the person starts fighting. What do you think? Is that true or false? Okay, well, that, that one's actually true. Uh, that one's true. Uh, how about this one? You should bring honey to bribe the bear. Bears love honey. True or false? Yeah, that's false. Um, how about this one? Don't climb a tree to escape the bear. Black bears can climb a tree much faster than you can. Is that true or false? That is absolutely true. Now, if lying still and quiet when a bear actually attacks you doesn't work, uh, you should strike the bear in the snout or eyes or with anything that you can find. Is that true or false? That is absolutely true true. Here's another one. You should talk loudly, clap, and sing as you hike. That is, unless you're a bad singer, then just clap. Uh, It doesn't pay to surprise a bear. Is that true or is that false? 
That is absolutely true. And then finally, if you're in a group, run. You won't be able to outrun the bear, but you will probably be able to outrun the slowest person in your group. Is that true or is that false? No, that's not true. That is patently false. And furthermore, that answer is unchristian, okay? So no, the answer to that one is false. Now listen, the premise for a book like this is simple. You just never know. Life is unpredictable. You never know what life is going to throw at you, so you have to be prepared. Here's how Solomon describes this in Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verses 8 and 9. Whoever digs a pit may fall into it. Whoever breaks through a wall may be bitten by a snake. Whoever quarries stones may be injured by them. Whoever splits logs may be endangered by them. He's just simply saying life is unpredictable. It's not always fair. So you have a guy who's, who digs holes all of his life, but then one day he falls into that hole, slips, and dies. He dies doing something he's done a thousand times before, right? A man works at a stone quarry. He digs boulders out of a mountain, but one day one of those boulders falls on him, something he's done again hundreds of times, but today it happened. He's just describing how random life can be, right? A guy can be cutting down a tree, but if he makes one miscalculation, that tree could fall right on top of him. In fact, most of us in the room probably know someone who died doing something that they did every single day, but that day something went horribly wrong. Let me give you an example of this from my own life. So years ago, I was driving home from Greenwood. I've done that hundreds of times. I was traveling south on Interstate 65. I'm in the right lane in my little Honda Accord, minding my own business, when in my peripheral vision, I see something large that looks closer than it, than it was supposed to look. So when I turned to look over my shoulder, there was a big semi-tractor trailer in my lane right next to my car. And at the moment that I looked over my right shoulder, the truck just kind of nudged me, just kind of bumped me a little bit, and it, it hit me here. And so when it did, my back wheels went, went out. And so now, suddenly, I'm looking at the grill of this truck. I'm being pushed down the interstate at 70 miles an hour. The doors are caving in on the driver's side. Uh, eventually, the glass burst into my lap. At one point, as this truck is pushing me down the highway, I kind of wondered, man, should I unbutton, buckle my seatbelt and get over in the passenger side? But I thought the better of that, right? Because if I was thrown loose, I wanted to, you know, have my seatbelt on. Well, then finally, after what seemed like forever being pushed down the highway, I mean, my, my tires were squealing, smoke was coming off my tires. And there was no panic. I just remember there was a moment where I'm looking at the grill of this truck. My car is caving in around me, and I think to myself, okay, so this is the way I'm going to die. It was kind of matter of fact. But then I noticed something. The truck pulled off the interstate and started to slow down. And uh, what had happened, the driver didn't even know he'd hit me. He just saw the smoke 
coming from uh, up over his hood and heard the tires squealing. So he comes around the corner to investigate. This guy just loses all color when he sees my car. I mean, he didn't expect to see my little Honda Accord crammed up under, you know, the grill of his front truck. And quite frankly, I didn't expect that on my way home, I would end up under the grill of a semi-tractor trailer truck. But Solomon is saying, well, that's the kind of world that we live in. Life can be, you know, a little bit unpredictable, right? Uh, And then look at verse 10. This is such a a great verse. He says, uh, if the axe is dull and its edge unsharpened, more strength is needed, but skill will bring success. Here's what the teacher is saying. He's saying that even in a random world, you can still work smarter. If you chop wood, make sure your axe is sharp. A sharp axe lessens the labor, right? So essentially, he's saying, look, if you want to have success, whatever it is, you have to have a plan for that. So the question is, what do you want? Because if you want to have a good and a fulfilling marriage then you're going to need to work a plan for that. Listen, good marriages don't happen by accident. So this is going to involve things like maybe working super hard on communicating well together, not once or twice, but every single day. This plan might involve intentional date nights where somebody else has the kids and you go out to remember together again why it was that you fell in love together in the first place. will probably need to involve looking for ways and actively looking for ways to serve your mate and to breathe life into them. It will absolutely involve uh, the commitment to forgiving your spouse no matter what over and over and over and over again. And the reality is if you don't have a plan for a good marriage, you simply will not have one. He says, look, if if you want something, you have to have a plan. It's not enough to dream. It's not enough to want something. Action is required. Now, speaking of marriage, I want you to check out your screen and see if you relate to anything that you see or hear. Not all of it, but uh, part of it. So check out your screen. It's just, there's all this pressure, you know? And sometimes it feels like it's right up on me and I can just feel it, like literally feel it in my head and it's relentless. And I don't know if it's going to stop. I mean, that's the thing that scares me the most is that I don't know if it's ever going to stop. Yeah. You do have a nail in your head. It is not about the nail. Are you sure? Because, I mean, I'll bet if we got that out of there... Stop trying to fix it. No, I'm not trying to fix it. I'm just pointing out that maybe the nail is causing... You always do this. You always try to fix things when what I really need is for you to just listen. See, I don't think that is what you need. I think what you need is to get the nail See, you're not even listening now. Okay, fine. I will listen. Fine. It's just... Sometimes it's like there's this achy... I don't know what it is. And I'm not sleeping very well at all. And all my sweaters are snagged. I mean, all of them. That 
sounds really hard. It is. Thank you. Ow! Oh, come on! Ow. If you would just don't. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, now listen, a lot of us are like that young, that young wife. A lot of us are. We want to talk and talk and talk about how bad our problems are and how bad our life is, but we don't want to have a plan. We don't want to do something to make it better, right? We just want people to listen to us and feel sorry for us instead of doing something. Solomon would say, don't do that. Have a plan. Do something. You can't do everything, but you can do something, see? So, for example, what do you want? If you want children that love Christ and the church, then you're going to need to backfill your time, uh, you know, with your children toward that plan. This is going to probably involve scheduling your children's time very intentionally, very carefully. It may even involve saying no to things, to good things that won't help your children fall in love with God. Maybe you'd have to say no to athletics or extracurricular activities in order to make sure that your kids can be involved in things that will move them toward Christ. If you want to be a faithful follower of Jesus, you're going to have to have a plan for that. That's going to involve some daily rhythms, rhythms like prayer and Bible study and meditation, service, worship, community, being in community with other people. And same thing, you're going to have to say no to some really good things in order to say yes to those daily rhythms. In fact, these rhythms are so important that what, as we move into our Christmas series, we're actually going to look at how these rhythms pop up in the Christmas story. Uh, we're going to do a series called Everyday Christmas because uh, these are rhythms that you need to have in your life every single day. The point is this. Nobody becomes a faithful follower of Jesus by accident. Nobody does. Nobody raises godly children by accident. Nobody does that. Nobody builds a good marriage on accident. If you want to succeed at something, it will require a plan. And then look as we move into chapter 11. The, the teacher just continues this same theme. Verses 1 and 2. Ship your grain across the sea. After many days, you may receive a return. Invest in seven ventures, yes, even in eight, because you do not know. You're going to see this phrase pop up over and over again in these six verses. You don't know. You don't know. You just never know. You don't know what disaster may come upon the land. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, I want you to diversify your investments. Don't put your eggs in any one basket. And some of you think that that came from your financial advisor, but Solomon actually said this thousands of years ago, right? He said, and the reason you should is because you don't know what disaster is going to come upon the land. And I want you to notice, he said, you don't know what disaster is going to come. He didn't say there would be no disasters, that's the point, right? That's why he's saying diversify because one day disaster is going to strike and you need to have a plan for that. You need to be prepared for that because in this world certainty is rare. 
So in the middle of uncertainty, take action. Do something. Don't just sit there. Have a backup plan. In fact, one of my favorite Proverbs about this, also written by Solomon, is found in Proverbs 26. Here's what it says. A sluggard says, now let's stop there, because this is a word we don't use a lot, right? A sluggard. A sluggard is a lazy person, a person who doesn't want to get out of bed. They want to binge Netflix all day long. Okay, that's who he's referencing here. A sluggard says, there's a lion in the road, a fierce lion roaming the streets. Now, why would a lazy person say there was a lion in the road? Well, you probably know the answer. There really isn't a lion in the road. He's just making that up so he can stay home and binge, binge watch TV. He's saying that to justify his passivity not to, and you know, to kind of rationalize his own laziness. And here's the point. It is so easy, and our news does this to a T. It is so easy to imagine risk right? But it's so foolish to imagine risk and not have a plan, right? He's saying, look, there isn't a lot you can control in this world which is out of control, but control the few things that you can. Control the few things that you can. Then look at verses 3 and 4. If clouds are full of water, they pour rain on the earth, whether a tree falls to the south or to the north, and the place where it falls, there it will lie. Whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. Now again, he's just reminding us that things happen in this world that are outside our control. Sometimes it rains. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes trees fall. Sometimes trees fall right on top of our houses. Sometimes this just happens, right? And then look what he says in verse 4. Whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, look, if you wait for perfect conditions to do anything, to live your life, to move on with your life, to find a job, to keep a job. If you wait for perfect conditions, if you wait for perfect conditions to do something that God is asking you to do, you'll never do it. Because in this world, there's no such thing as perfect. There is always risk. There is always uncertainty in this world. So don't, get, don't be passive, you know, in your waiting for things to get better. There are some of us, and like we're waiting to serve God until we feel more mature or more together. And do you know what that means for you? That means you will never get around to doing a single thing God asks you to do. You know why? Because you're never going to feel good enough. You're never going to feel far, far enough along. And your enemy, the adversary, the devil, he will whisper that in your ear daily to keep you out of God's service. Don't wait for perfect conditions, right? And then look at verse 5. And this really gets to the crux of the matter. This is where we can really mine deeply. As you do not know, there's that phrase again, you do not know. As you do not know the path of the wind or how the body is formed in a mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. So he's just kind of summarizing, right? You, you just never know. You can't know. And to prove it, 
he goes back to the basics. He goes to weather. He says, look, you have no control over the weather. You have no idea which direction the wind is going to blow on any given day. And not only that, you, you had no control or no say in your own birth. You have no idea how a, a, a person is formed in the womb of its mother. Essentially, he's saying, you don't even know how you came to be. See? So you had no control, you have no control over the weather, and you had no control over your birth, right? That's just the work of God. It's vast and it's mysterious. And this is exactly why intimacy with God is so important on a daily basis. In other words, I'm talking about prayer. Prayer is, before it's anything else, intimacy with God. I was talking to a guy some months ago, and he said to me, I just don't get it, you know, because sometimes I pray and stuff doesn't happen. He said, so, you know, I don't know that, that I'm really all in that, that much into this prayer thing. And I said, well, I think you're misunderstanding the whole intention and nature of prayer. Prayer isn't, first and foremost, to get God to do stuff for you. Prayer is an invitation to intimacy with God. And the only way you can be intimate with another person or uh, being, right, is to talk with them, to cast your cares on them, to invite them into your life. And so prayer, before it is anything else, is intimacy with God. So here's, here's what Solomon would say to us. This is really the crux of the issue. Listen, in a crisis, in a moment of uncertainty, I do what I can and I trust God with everything else. Do you have any idea how your anxiety levels would begin to go down if we would all just do what little thing we can in a crisis or in a hard spot and then just trust God with all the stuff that is outside of our control. See, the reason so many of us are so tired and so exhausted is because we're trying to control things that are uncontrollable, that only God can control. And so why not talk to God about those things and resign as the deity of the universe? Listen, it is so freeing when you live this way, see? Because listen, it is true that in this world you just never know, but when you pray, it's also true that you never know what God might do. In the fourth century, there was a Christian monk by the name of Telemachus. One day, he found himself in Rome, and because he was following the crowds, he made his way into uh, a Roman gladiatorial battle if you've ever seen the movie Gladiator, you know that gladiators fought to the death. These battles were just filled with bloodshed. They were gruesome. They were gory. And as Telemachus watched these gladiators battle, he was so horrified by what he was witnessing that he didn't know what to do. And so he did the only thing he could think to do. He ran out into the arena and he tried to get between two of the gladiators, and in front of all the spectators, this Christian monk was killed by one of these gladiators. He lost his life trying to stop the barbarism of the gladiatorial games. 
But in the mysterious work of God, the story of Telemachus' death found its way back to the emperor of Rome, who himself had just become a Christian. And he was shocked that a fellow Christian's blood had been shed in the arena. And so on January 1st, 404 AD, he banned the gladiatorial games forever. One man didn't know what to do. I mean, what can you do when there's nothing that you can do? So one man did the only thing that he could think of, and in doing so, he lost his life. Probably didn't think that part through. But even in that, God worked. God worked. God used that. Friends, when it comes to life in this world, you just never know. But you also, you never know how God might work if you invite him in. And then finally, in verse 6, the teacher summarizes the course of wisdom in the face of uncertainty. He says, have a plan, take action, do what you can, trust God with the rest. But then he goes back to this idea of diversification. Look what he says in verse 6. Sow your seed in the morning and at evening. Let your hands not be idle, for you do not know which will succeed, whether this or that or whether both will, be, will do equally well. Here's what he's probably saying about sowing seed. He's saying sow, sow seed in the morning, and sow a different kind of seed at night. Don't just rest at night. Sow two kinds of seed because you don't know which one of those two kinds of seed is going to do the best. Right? So again, he's telling us that uncertainty, not knowing, should never keep us from action. He doesn't want us to resign ourselves to passivity or to inaction. Now listen. It is so easy, isn't it? Let's just make some application. It is so easy to look at this world and be discouraged by everything that is happening. I mean, you look at politics, you look at our culture, you look at everything that's happening in our personal lives, that's happening to us at work, that's happening to our families or to our children. Um, and it's so easy, isn't it, to get overwhelmed and kind of paralyzed by that. I don't know what to do, so I'm just going to hunker down. I mean, maybe I'll build a compound, right, and, and pull all my family in there. Or maybe I'll just stay at home and shelter in my house and not venture out and just kind of let all this blow over, right? But look, here, here's what Solomon would say. Listen. In this crisis, in this day, in this age, amidst all these circumstances, you may not be able to do everything, but you can do something. There is some action that you can take. So do what little you can and then trust God with the big part. Invite him into that. Ask him into that very thing. Because... Isn't it true that you sometimes fantasize about, you know, retreating or withdrawing or going somewhere else? Don't you just really sometimes want to build a compound where, you know, we could kind of be safe from this broken world? Or maybe you want to try to move to a bad place or at least a pl or a, to a place that's better where so many bad things aren't happening or at least the weather is better than it is here, right? And so, you know, you just think, well, maybe I could just ride out the storm 
in one of these ways. You know, a year or so ago, we did a series through my favorite chapter of the entire Bible. It's Romans chapter 8. And what's so fascinating to me about Romans chapter 8 is Paul, there in Romans 8, says exactly the same thing that the teacher has told us repeatedly in the book of Ecclesiastes. The teacher has said, look, who can straighten out what God has made crooked, right? He's saying this world is a broken place. It is an uncertain place. It is an unpredictable place. This world is a place where bad things can happen to people on a moment's notice. Now, the way Paul said it a little differently he said that creation groans that's his way of saying that this world is broken and furthermore he said that we have bodies that groan in other words our bodies are subject to decay to brokenness and if you're getting older you go pastor I don't even need you to tell me about that I got it when I got out of bed this morning I knew that I have a body that is very ever so slowly decaying right in fact in Ecclesiastes 12 we're going to talk about how do you age gracefully right how do you as your body is decaying how do you make sure that your soul is renewed and made new day by day by day day by day, right? And so in the middle of saying exactly what Solomon has been saying in Ecclesiastes, Paul makes some incredible promises. Here's the first one, Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who, who what? So listen, good news, bad news. Good news, if you love God, this verse that we're about to read together is for you. Bad news, if you don't love God, there's no promise here for you. Your life will continue to seem random, and every trial and every bad thing that blows into your life will just seem purposeless. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who've been called according to his purpose says, listen, when people, here's what Paul's saying, when people love God and things, bad, even bad things blow into their lives, there's no such thing as random. God has a plan and God has a purpose and he promises that at the end of the day, even the painful things, even the hard things, even the difficult things, he will weave a tapestry out of that with our lives so that one day, maybe we won't look back on that event and go, man, I'd love to go through that again. I mean, none of us would, right? But, but maybe we would look back and go, you know what? I'd never want to have to relive that period of my life. But God worked in me. God did something beautiful in me. God did something beautiful in my family during that painful and during that difficult time. See? And some of us are here today. And in the middle of our circumstances, we feel stuck. We feel overwhelmed. And if that's you, take heart. Because God works out for good, good things for all who love him. And so listen, here's, here's how, to, how to move into the realm of being able to grasp that promise. If you're here this morning and you go, you know, I have to be honest. Really, I just love me. Like, I just love my agenda. I just love the things I want to love. Well, okay, then the first step is admitting that. And, and having a conversation where, with God where you go, you know what, God, I'm way more in love with me than I am you. 
but I want that to change. I want to grow to love you. I want to begin to love you. Help me begin to love you. And, and he will. And he will. And then Paul makes another statement a couple of verses later in the same context of a broken world. And here's what he says, and this is so amazing. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? In other words, he's saying, look, if he would give up his son for you, wouldn't he give you anything? Wouldn't he give you everything? Now listen, he's saying a couple things. He's saying, first, when something bad blows into your life, and your knee-jerk reaction is to say, well, God, you know, you're asleep at the wheel and you don't love me. Why don't you love me anymore? No, no, listen, listen. Paul's already said, God's already proven to you that he loves you. He sent his son Jesus to die in your place. So you don't have to question whether God loves you when bad things blow into your life. This is called looking at life through the lens of the gospel. So the gospel is, Jesus came, he, he died on a cross for me for the forgiveness of my sin. He took the wrath of God that I deserved on himself. And so see, this means something else. It means that when bad things blow into your life, God is not punishing you. He already poured out your punishment on his son. He's not punishing you. He's disciplining you, and there's a big, big difference parents discipline so that we or he in this case our heavenly father disciplines so that we might look like his son so that we might take on day by day more and more and more of the character of his son Jesus and let me just tell you something when you filter everything in this broken crazy world that blows into your life when you filter it all through the gospel, you never question God's love for you. You never question whether God is angry with you. You're, you're then able and prepared to say, okay, God, what do you want to teach me? What do you want to show me? What do you want me to learn in this? See, your posture changes, and it's never random. Why? Because God is teaching you in it. What, what seems random to everybody else and out of control all of a sudden takes on new meaning and purpose because you love God and you are called according to his purpose. And this is why Paul would say later in a different book, he would say this, therefore, in other words, because Jesus died for you, because you're forgiven of your sins, because you're now a child of God, a son, a daughter of the king. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Here's Here's the point. Listen, some of us are here and we're discouraged. We're discouraged that God is not more active in our lives or our families. Maybe we want God to do more here in our church. Listen, at a certain point, Solomon said, hey, in the morning, I want you to sow seed. And at night, I want you to sow seed, right? You know the way we sow seed as followers of Jesus? We live out the gospel of Jesus. We live it out morning, noon, 
and night. We just sow seed. Hey, Jesus loves you. Hey, Jesus died for you. Hey, Jesus cares for you so you can cast your cares on him. Hey, I'll pray for you about that. We just sow seed into the lives of others, and we never give up. Why? What does he say? Because your labor in the Lord is not in vain. See, sowing the seeds of the gospel into the hearts and minds of others is what it looks like to be on mission with Jesus, to be a disciple of Jesus and a follower of Jesus. And let me just tell you, because this world is broken, it makes, it elevates, right? Like sometimes people say, oh, well, you know, man, society, we're all like, you know, everybody's going to hell in a handbasket, right? And look, I I always say, listen, I've never been more optimistic. I've never been more optimistic about God's ability, the ability of Jesus to work, because the darker our culture gets, the brighter the light of Christ will shine. So we just need to, look, don't, don't be discouraged. Stand firm, be immovable, be steadfast. Just keep sowing seed. And not only do you never know when it comes to life, but if you keep sowing seed, you wait. You never know what our God might do. Let me pray for you and with us. Uh, Father, I just lift up these men and women. I thank you uh, again for our veterans and their service. And, and God, because of some of them, you know, I'm able to stand up and preach, and I don't have to worry about uh, persecution or anything else. I am free to do this. And so I thank you for them, and I thank you uh, just for the, or just the other men and women in this auditorium. Lord, you love each of us. Help us grow to love you so that we can take hold of that promise that we know all things work together for good to those who love him to those that are called you know called according to your purpose lord jesus lord jesus thank you that you take what seems random to the rest of the world and you lace it with meaning and purpose and for that we give you praise and glory and we do it in jesus mighty name and all god's people said hey thank you guys for worshiping with us today